Good morning, Mansfield Bible. My name is Mark. Me and my wife, Rhonda, joined in around March of this year. And this morning, we're going to be reading out of Ecclesiastes 12, verses 9 through 14. We go to Song of Solomon and take a left, so. Fear God and keep his commandments. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's glad that there are two people out there. Good morning. So my name is, my name is Jared Young. My wife and I have been going to Mansfield Bible Church for about seven years now. Uh, we have two lovely children, Grant and Ruth Ellen. They are nine and about to be seven. That about is extremely important, okay? And if you have kids you know it goes so fast. And my son, Grant, I love him to death, he, he's wearing a shark tooth necklace. As a kid who grew up in the 90s myself, I am both chagrined and overjoyed that he's wearing a shark tooth necklace. Also, he has to have sneakers. I, I created that problem. If you know me, I'm a bit of a sneakerhead because, again, I grew up in the 90s. I mean, how many kids that grew up in the 90s didn't want a pair of Jordans or every pair of Jordans, if we're being honest? Also, we had great things like LA gear and Reebok pumps. If you don't know what either of those are, go look them up. They're fantastic. Okay. And my daughter, Ruth Ellen, she is completely different than my son, Grant. The other last weekend, we, went, we had the opportunity to go visit uh, a dear friend uh, of ours, a couple, they had kids, uh, I think their son is six days younger or older than Grant. So we had kids right at the same time. So we went back to Kansas and we visited them for the weekend. And my wife and my buddy's wife, Anita, took our kids to the lake. And Ruthie has this uh, goldfish. Does anybody understand? What is with kids and goldfish? Like, they will hate any, you give them, every kid loves, I don't understand it. But anyway, she's got goldfish, and they're shaped like penguins. And Anita comes up and goes, oh, Ruthie, I've never had a penguin. How do they taste? And she looks at Anita without batting an eye and goes, bloody. <laughs> like, this kid's my spirit animal. Well, this morning, we are going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. And before we get to the, to the, um, the focus of our of the sermon this morning, I, I want to kind of back up and look at, at what Ecclesiastes is and what, who the author is, what he's been doing, and why we're going to be focusing on the end of the passage. 
So the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon. Solomon was considered one of the wisest men in scripture. Um, Also, there are times in his life where he was severely unwise. Uh, Three, is it 100 wives and 300? More than one wife is severely unwise. But this guy had like 300 and then 700. I, not wise. But we're all flawed. And Solomon is, is reflecting on his life throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's writing this entire book and, and kind of conveying to the generation to come that this, this is the things that I've experienced. These are the things that I've done. This is the knowledge that I've gained. And here is what I have to tell you. And in the chapter 12, we look at this just to kind of give you an idea of, of why 9 through the end of the chapter is important. The, the rest of the Chapter 12, he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, before the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Over the sun and the light of the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Okay, so here it talks about the idea of of the things around them starting to grow old. You're starting to grow old. Things are not, they don't give the same joy that they used to. And I'm gonna shift a few more verses down and it talks about the idea of uh, the windows being dim. So we, we see that society is failing. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed. So your strength fails, your society fails. And then you look further down in verse six, before the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as, it, as the spirit returns to the God who gave, to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now, if you're concerned why, why the silver cord is broken, or the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken, those are two very interesting things to pick because silver has monetary value, gold has monetary value, and one is made into a cord and the other one is made into a bowl. Not necessarily things that you would espouse inherent monetary value to, necessarily, unless you're my grandmother who collected China, all sorts of China from everywhere. And I don't know where any of it is at this point. It's all gone. But she she collected all of that. But also you have here the idea of it being snapped and broken. So silver back then was considered a precious metal, but also was extremely strong. It was stronger than copper or brass. And then gold, the idea of gold being broken, you think, okay, a golden bowl is broken. Gold, you ever seen one of those old Western movies where somebody like flips somebody a gold coin and the guy bites on it? You know why he bites on it? Because if it's real gold, his teeth would imprint on it, also it would bend. Because gold is not necessarily something that's just easy to break. If you had a gold bar the size of a Snickers, you could flatten it to cover the entire wall of the back of the sanctuary here. It's not something that's easily broken. So when these things break down, when they're gone, when the world is ending, this is what's happening, this is what's taking place. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Then we have verse nine. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. So now he shifts 
And he talk, he's starting to talk about something that will last. And if you know anything about the stuff that, that Solomon wrote, Proverbs, he puts great value on particularly wisdom, wisdom and knowledge. He says these things are things that will last. In other words, they're going to stand the test of time. They're valuable beyond measure. They're not something that comes and goes, that that has monetary value for only a specific time or inherent value for only a specific time, and then it's gone. And if you're like me and you grew up in the 90s, there were all kinds of things that you thought were gonna have inherent value and are now just gone. Like the Beanie Baby. No, oh, there are so many people thought, these things are gonna be so valuable, and now they have a garage full of them and they can't get rid of them. Or um, what's another thing? Oh yeah, CDs. Okay, we talk about how distracted people are on their phones and they are, I get it. At work, I wanna play a new game called stand in the hallway and see if the guy on his phone knows that I'm here. Because this is how everybody walks. I'm like, they're gonna, how are we not running into people? But you've never tried to take a book this big of CDs, open it, find the Blink-182 CD, and get it from the sleeve with which you put all of the track list behind it. So you put a book behind the CD to make it even harder to get the CD out, right? Or, or you double-stacked CDs, and then you pull it out, and you're like... <gasps> I forgot about that one. And then get it into a CD player all while driving down I-35. <laughs> With your buddy in the car next to you, who's also a huge distraction, but you didn't give him the book because you didn't touch, trust him not to touch it with his fingers after he ate McDonald's french fries. Okay, we were just as distracted. Okay, but those things no longer hold value. They're gone. Nobody's thinking about that. Nobody's even thinking about DVD players or VHS tapes. Everything is streaming. Also, if we're honest, what is with these streaming companies? $17.99 a month? What are you giving me for $17.99 a month? Also, that's how much a bunch of eggs cost. So I, inflation, it's wonderful. <clears throat> But here he's talking about that, and he says, what, so what's going to last you? Besides being wise, the preacher taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging Proverbs with great care. So he said, these things are going to last. And he took care in, in laying them out and arranging them and making sure. And in, in the way the Hebrew writes it down, it says that he took great care and he corrected many sayings. In other words, he, he laid in line these things and made sure that they lined up with actual wisdom and actual truth. So the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he, he wrote words of truth. You know, I, I don't know how many of you actively during the week pray for your pastors, but if you don't, you should. Because there is nobody that they can call on a Saturday night when they start to get sick to come and do this. And they'll get up here Sunday after Sunday and they will stand at that door and they will greet everybody and they'll walk out. And a lot of times what they hear 
is what people didn't like. We need to take better care of the people that convey God's word. So if you're not praying for your pastor, if you're not praying for Greg, if you're not praying for Matt, if you're not praying for Greg, I got them all. Please do so. Because this is a grave responsibility and they take it seriously every single Sunday, whether they feel good or not. But this preacher laid this out and he said, he said he desired to find words of delight. In the Hebrew, it says he desired to find an attractive style. In other words, they want to talk to you in a way that you understand. And they want to encourage you. And they want to uplift you. And they want to give you this idea of delight. They want you to delight in the words of Scripture. Also, also, and this is what you test and approve. And he uprightly, he wrote the words of truth. You see, our delight should never delude the truth. Our desire, unfortunately, in our churches all across this country, we have a desire to be delighted with things, to be encouraged, to be uplifted. You can drive down the highway and you can see billboards for churches that say things like an encouraging, uplifting message. But a lot of times the truth is not always uplifting, is it? A lot of times the truth is not always encouraging, a lot of times, the truth is the truth, regardless of our feelings about it. Actually, all the time, the truth is the truth, regardless of our feelings about it. <laughs> but this preacher wanted to do both. See, it doesn't matter if you're writing books or you're singing songs. If it's true, it should be true. And there's no need to change it to sound better. And yet that's what we do all the time. We, we look at and we look at the vast sea of people and we say, well, if I say this, then it might not. Do we really think we got to change God's word? No, no. Look, it said the words of truth, the words of the wise are like goads and like firmly fixed are the collected sayings that are given by one shepherd. Okay. Does anybody know what a goat is? Not goat. We're not talking about Tom Brady or Michael Jordan. Okay. What was a goat? Anybody know? Yeah, anybody know what a cattle prod is? Okay, so picture that, but thousands of years ago, is a sharp, long stick. Okay, that you poked things with. Because if anybody, if you, anybody here ever like had or owned or interacted with a donkey at any point, if they sit down, what can you not get them to do? Get up. You can pull until you're blue in the face and they're not gonna move. So what do you do? You gotta poke them where it hurts so that they'll move. Sometimes, sometimes, you're like, do they have like a, you know, a version of that for, like, friends? You them to move? Because sometimes, sometimes you say things to people that you love and care for, and you're like, we've gone over this. 18 times. If you don't think a goad is, is, uh, 
is worth its salt. You think, oh, okay, a, a pokey stick. Rewind to the book of Judges. Okay, in the book of Judges, there's some great accounts of people who did some crazy things. Like a guy ripped a door out of a walled city. Not the door out of a house, a door out of a walled city. He killed a thousand people with a donkey's jawbone. There's another guy in there that stabbed a really fat king. Okay, and then there's this one, this guy by the name of Othniel. Okay, Othniel. Uh, nobody names their kid Othniel. I don't know why. But he gets like one sentence in the book of Judges. And it said that he stood in the middle of a field and killed 800 Philistines with an ox goad. 800 Philistines with a stick. I'm, th- this is the guy I want to ask God about when I get there. I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. Can you tell me where, where can I find Othniel? I would really like to know more about this. Like, was he just standing in the middle of the field and was like, oh, look, here come the Philistines. Bring it. Is this where they got the idea for Neo in the Matrix? And he's like. Or was it like all of a sudden there they were, he had no choice, and then he wipes out 800, and he's like, what? With a stick. A stick. But it says the words of the wise are like goads, okay? And like nails firmly fixed. In other words, they're painful. A nail, anybody had a nail that was not firmly fixed? You ever seen that? That, that, is, that is an exercise in patience. When you have a nail that will not stay where it's supposed to, what's the job of a nail? The job of a nail is to adhere something to something else and it's supposed to stay there. And as a matter of fact, if it does its job, It'll be there for a really long time, okay? So I grew up, my grandfather was an electrician for Philadelphia Electric Company for years. He owned property in Pennsylvania. We used to go up there after Thanksgiving every year and we would go deer hunting up there. And this was back in the day where nobody really cared what you stuck to a tree, okay? And so he would put tree stands up on a tree and he'd just like nail two by fours and all kinds of things. And if you did the job correctly, eventually what starts to happen? The tree grows around that thing and it's even harder to get out. So the idea here is that these sayings are to be embedded into who you are. When it comes to the Bible, when it comes to scripture, we should be firmly fixed and planted in it. And it should envelop our lives to the point that it's even harder to get our life out of it. And yet what we want to do is we want to just stick it there for now. Like Velcro it to the tree. Velcro it? Well, you know, it's good for when it's good for and then when I don't want it, I just don't want it. No! No, it hurts! And it's not, it's not necessarily always kind. Yet we have a tendency in our churches today when somebody conveys truth to come up with all kinds of excuses as to why that person is the one at fault. Well, they didn't say it in a way that was easily understandable. Well, they didn't say it in a way that displayed the understanding that I... Stop! We're so concerned with the tone instead of the truth. 
And we'll wave our flag and wave our hand because somebody said something that got us right here. And we don't want to confront it in our own life. So what we do is we take it and we project it onto them. How dare they stand up here and tell me that I have to fix? Who do we serve? A perfect God. Every single one of us should be absolutely and totally ashamed of who we are without him. And if you're not ashamed at your own sin and the own fault in your own life, how dare you say that somebody that's conveying that is at fault? Galatians 1, verse 8. Galatians 1, 8. I'm going to turn there. I got, if you got your, your smartphone and you're faster than me, that's okay. I just, anybody like the smell of books? Oh, it's great. Also, you can write in them. It's fantastic. It, I have so many notes here. I don't have any notes in my phone. My phone is just plain and boring. All right, Galatians. Yep, go to Ephesians and take a left. Galatians 1, 8. I'm going to start in 7, or uh, 6. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there, is, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach you a gospel contrary to the one who preached to you, let him be accursed. This says it so much nicer than if you have like a Jewish Bible, it, doesn't, it does not say it that nice. It puts quotations around, it says, um, quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. And it has quotations around different gospel. Like he's, Paul is actively making fun of whoever's preaching a different gospel. And he says, and if you listen to this other gospel, it doesn't matter who preached it to you. It could be an angel. If an angel preaches you something other than what was preached to you, that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the grave and that he's the son of God, then that person is accursed forever. Like every time I hear that, I hear the guy from the sandlot forever. Not just for now, forever. Why? Because there is only one gospel. There is not another version of this. Okay? Because God's story is not up for debate. His account isn't something we need to update. Because this epic has stood the test for the last 6,000 years. There is not one single collection of pages throughout the ages that comes close to fashioning a tale as gritty or glorious as the Bible. It shows a perfect savior willing to be murdered for severely imperfect behavior and then to catapult humanity on his coattails to splendor. It's all about God. It's all about him, not about us, not about the way we feel, not about what we think is right. See, the study of scripture is painful, but the study about scripture is precarious. I've come in contact with a lot of people over the last, oh, I'd say year or so, and it's interesting to me how quick people will reference books that are not scripture. 
through years. I, I've, I've, over the last 20 years of my life, I have, I've been in the church. My father was a pastor of the church. I did student ministry for a long time. Whenever I study and lay out lessons, I always go there. Do you know how many other books I look at? Relatively few. You know why? Because it says, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. See, writing about scripture and knowledge about scripture is fine. You ever had somebody that had knowledge about something? For instance, I told you about my kids. Talk about my lovely wife. She is fantastic, wonderful. She's the better half of me. Sometimes, however, every once in a while, I get it right here and there. One of those is a Disney movie. Everybody seen the Disney movie Aladdin? Not, not the Will Smith Aladdin. The Robin Williams Aladdin. Okay, in there, Aladdin is asking him how the genie works. And he says, phenomenal cosmic power. And then what's the next line? Is it itty bitty living space or itty bitty landing space? It's living space. My wife thought it was landing space. She was thrown down the mat. We even bet a Pepsi or a Mountain Dew on it back when, we, when I drank Mountain Dew. And I was like, no, 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 it's living space. Now you go, that's a small thing. Yeah, but think about how much that changes that narrative. Landing space or living space? See, we, we tend to not want to focus on the actual thing itself. But we're okay, we're content with getting mostly there. It's like we're mostly right, which also means we're slightly wrong. Princess Bride, anybody? He's only mostly dead, which means he's slightly alive. Okay. Also, growing up in the 90s was a wonderful time. Camping. You grow up in the 90s, camping was different than now because camping was where your family went with other families out into the middle of nowhere and let you run wild. Okay, and you collected all kinds of things, salamanders, snakes, frogs, berries that you knew you weren't supposed to eat, all kinds of great fun. Also, you had, probably had a camper that was like from the 70s, it smelled like it was from the 70s. You know, and you slept in it, or you, or you were hardcore and you slept in a tent, and then other people came along, they would invite other people along, and those people would show up, and the only people that you made fun of for camping were the people that bought the brand new RV, and you're like, ha ha, you obviously have no idea what you've gotten yourself into. Because up on this hill, there's no electricity. Right? That, that was my experience. And we had, this, we had this one family that came camping with us one year, and they decided to really rough it. They not only brought a tent, but they, it wasn't their tent. And then they forgot like half the supplies. So one night, they're having those, uh, what is it, the hobo meals? With the, the chicken, whatever, wrapped in tin foil and stuffed in the fire. And other people are cooking their, their um, food on the fire. And... That Mr. McDevitt is, you know, looking at it. He's like, okay, I, th I, think, we're, I think we're getting close. This is great. Uh, can we, I can't, oh, I forgot my tongs. So I got to reach in there with a hot mitt. Well, you can't just reach into a fire with a hot mitt. Like that, you get it all ashy and dirty. And so he doesn't have the supplies. So he's asking people how to help. Well, he's like, well, we need to put out the fire. The fire's growing. Like people are, people are standing around. They're cooking all kinds of things. Like we need to put out the fire. Well, the hose wasn't anywhere near the fire pit because who does that in the 90s? Nobody. Nobody was like, let's build a fire close to the water. They're like, let's build one farthest away from the water. Okay. So there's no water. So his wife goes running through the campsite, through everyone else's campsite, looking for water. 
I'm not exactly sure why, but she found it. And she found it in one of those Tupperware containers that was like this big and had like the tan lid on top with a little, you know, round thing with the mouth and gave you all the measurements on the side and you put water in it with ice and the ice lasted all of five minutes. You remember those? Anybody else? Okay, found it in this, come running over with this thing like, I got it! Like it's like she's running the Olympic torch, you know, to the end and he's like, I'm getting it! It's like you could hear the... Music to Chariots of Fire, da, 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 dee, da, da. and he grabs it and rips the lid off like he's a kid at Christmas, and just, only it wasn't water. It was vegetable oil. That chicken was no longer chicken. That chicken was chicken run. If chicken run had happened a different way, it was gone. See, he got it mostly right. It was clear. It's in a Tupperware container, it looked correct, but it wasn't. So when it comes to the word of God, only mostly right, but it's slightly wrong. All right, verse 11. It says, <clears throat> or 12, my son, beware of anything beyond these of making many books there is no end and much study is weariness to the soul or to the flesh here we're not saying that reading books is bad or that making books is bad but the idea of focusing on other books rather than scripture that might not be the best plan for your life and when we're quick to read things that are about scripture, but we don't pick up scripture, there might be something that's backwards. If you grew up before the 90s, and before fuel injection and those kinds of things, you had this thing on a car called a distributor. And it had these things in it called points. Anybody? Okay, yeah, yeah. Now, what happens if you accidentally mix up spark plug one with spark plug four? You can't do that. Things don't go well. It's not like just a plug and play, like you can stick the wires wherever they want to go, okay? You have to put them in order because there's a firing order for how the engine runs. And if it runs smooth, you can drag race and you can tear up the strip. If it doesn't run smooth, everyone is going to wonder what in the world is the matter with you when you go to the car show. Because it's going to be tripping all over itself. Okay? You can't just mix and match. You can't put things in a different order. And when we, when we read about Scripture, instead of reading Scripture, we might have things slightly out of order. Another thing that people thought had great value that's gone is Christian bookstores. Anybody ever visit one of those little oasises of joy? You immediately walk in and it smells like a brand new Bible. And there's probably like Stephen Curtis Chapman or Michael W. Smith on the radio. And you walk in, everything's quiet. And you're like, this is even quieter than a library. And you walk through and you have Bibles and there's a pretty good selection. Then you get to the Christian living section. And I never knew what to do with this section. Because all these books are about how to have your best life now or how to have a better prayer life or how to, and I'm like, shouldn't these books just inside it just say read the Bible? <laughs> but no, they don't. 
They don't. They say, okay, so this is what I did, and this is what God told me, and this is what God shared with me, so I'm going to share it with you, and you can do what God told me to do, and you can have success. Wait, time out. I'm confused. Does God give us success in the way he gave somebody else success? No! Also, our idea of success is not his. Anybody know the prophet Isaiah? He, he signed up and he said, the Lord said, Isaiah, you're going to preach my word. You're going to preach my word to the people. And he said, great. And the Lord said, until their ears are closed and their hearts are hardened and they turn, lest they hear with their ears, believe with their hearts and turn and be healed. It's like, wonderful. How long, O oh Lord, until the city lies waste and not a man is left inside? Oh, Anybody else ready to sign up for that ride? No? no. But that's what the Lord asked him to do, so why not? Because it's not about how many people he brought to Christ. It's not about how many people he baptized. It's not about any of that. It's about obedience to Christ. Beyond these, be careful, because making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the soul. We can get bogged down in study. You ever think about that? You ever studied for a test and been like, I've been studying this for too long. Like, I all of a sudden have a myopic view of life, and everything around me is siphoned through this calculus test. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Now imagine you did that with the Bible because instead of reading the Bible, you read everything about it. You listened to all the podcasts about it. You watched all the YouTube videos about it, but you never read it. So now he gets to 13. So the end of the matter, all has been heard. So I've laid out everything. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. All right. Solomon says, this is, this is it. This is the base. This is the end of the matter. What do we do? Fear God. Now, the word fear God here, it means fear. Should be afraid. Should tremble. To understand, but also it should, you should reverence the Lord. A lot of times I think, again, in our churches in this country, we, we in a desire to, to convey the difference between un, 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 and, wow, an unbeliever and a believer, we, we kind of take this definition and we focus on one aspect of it, not the other. Because see, God, the fear of God is different for those that trust in the Lord and those that don't. For those that don't, the fear of the Lord brings condemnation. For those that do, it does not. Yet you should be afraid of God. Anybody ever been around something that, that they are like, well, on, on a normal day, I'm not afraid of this, but then you realize, oh, wait, I should? Like, who wants to go mess with the breaker and just move some wires around? Anybody? Nobody? Nobody wants to do that? How many of you ever sat near a campfire? How many of you also, have you ever seen a Christmas tree go up in flames? You want to talk about scary? 30 seconds, your whole house, gone. And I don't mean like mostly gone. I mean like all gone. Okay? We, we, this idea of, of fear is real. And we should be afraid of God. Because he says, don't fear those that kill the body only, but be afraid of him who can 
who can condemn both the body and soul in what? Hell. We should be afraid of God. And we should also reverence him and stand in awe of who he is because the power that he possesses is unlike anything we have ever seen. If you don't believe it, go back to the Old Old Testament again, rewind, go to Kings. Look up this guy by the name of Elijah, okay? He, somebody needed him, the king needed him, and he sent some soldiers to go get him. And the first set of soldiers went up this hill and said, Elijah, you're coming down with me. And God said, nah, burned all of them up. The second guy comes up and goes, Elijah, you're coming down, I'm paraphrasing, by the way. <laughs> okay, Elijah, you're coming down with me now. And God said, uh-uh, burned all them up. And then the third guy goes up with his men and crawls on his knees to the prophet and says, Elijah, please, for the sake of me and my men, come down. And God goes, okay, go with him. The immense power of the Lord. So there's this plane. So I love cars. I love planes. Aviation is awesome. If you ever look throughout aviation, it's pretty intense. The things that we could do, for instance, I'm just going to reference this one thing and then get back. There's this plane in World War II, the P-47 Thunderbolt, okay? That plane could take a beating and keep on ticking. I saw a picture of it the other day. It had a bullet hole through the propeller, and the guy made it back safe. But there's a German aviator that wrote an account of getting into a firefight with one of these things, and he disengaged from the firefight because he ran out of ammo. He ran out of ammo, and the thing was still flying in the air. The things we can do is amazing. There's this other plane, little-known plane. It did some sort of cool things called the SR-71 Blackbird. Through the, flew three times the speed of sound. Anybody know that? It could take 160,000 miles of footage in 62 minutes with a camera when your calculator was analog. Okay? This plane, if you were out on the tarmac when it started up, you were given ear protection and a mouth guard because if you were close enough to it, the guy that stood next to it said, all of a sudden, when it started up, you were very aware of all your mushy parts because of the immense power that this engine was putting out. Okay? And yet our God is far more powerful than any of that. And we're not afraid of him. We're not supposed to be afraid of him. We should be deathly afraid of him. And yet, we should also reverence him. I'm going to quote this. I'm, I'm pulling up my phone just to make sure I get this quote correct, okay? I'm not signing up for the women's Bible study <laughs> or the, theo- the theology uh, upcoming. However, maybe you should check your phone and make sure that you can still get a ticket for that, okay? It says this, such is pure and genuine religion, namely confidence in God coupled with serious Fear, fear, which both includes in it willing reverence and brings along with it such legitimate worship as is prescribed by the law. This ought to be more carefully considered. All men do promiscuous homage to the Lord, but few truly reverence him. See, we want and we're ready to do homage to the Lord. We'll pay him homage. We'll give him lip service. We'll honor him this way. But few people actually reverence him for who he is because he is both fearful and wonderful. So fear God, then what? Keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. In Hebrew, it literally says keep his Torah. Now here's another thing that we have to, I want to be clear on, okay? We are not justified by the law. 
We are not. The law serves for those people that are convicted and unbelieving. It condemns you. Right? It's, it's like as if you got a speeding ticket and you're standing before the judge and you're no longer allowed to drive. You were what? You're, you're under the law. You're convicted. There is a sentence for going 160 in a 35. You're like, who's doing that? You might be surprised. Not me. Okay. 160 and 35. And then the judge gets down and restores your driver's license to you, adopts you as his son, gives you his cloak, and then sets you free. Now what are you free to go do? Drive your car and what? Obey the speed limit. Also, do you want to obey the speed limit? Yeah, you do. Why? Because you understand what you've been freed from. See, the law doesn't justify us, but the law shows us that we've been justified by Christ, and now what should we be doing? Obey what he's commanded us. Obey. That's part of it. It's not just, yay, God save me from the terrible person I am. Look at everything I did. It was so bad. End of story. I went to a youth group event one time where this guy gave his testimony and he talked all about how he used to run drugs and this, that, and the other thing. And we got done with the thing and one of my youth group kids comes up to me and goes, so does he still sell drugs? <laughs> I was like, ha ha, this kid caught on something. He never, he never talked about it. See, our testimony should not be, I was a terrible person, but God saved me. Our testimony should be, I was a terrible person. God got a hold of my life. Now look what he's done. Because our testimony isn't everything before Christ. Our testimony is everything because of Christ. And yet, we, we want to focus on everything before, not everything after. Because we understand that we're not justified by the law. But I think, I think we discredit a little bit what the law does as far as our sanctification is concerned. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, those things that we do now count for something. They no longer condemn us, but they show a world that we believe in a God who saves. So here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for he will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or bad. Also, judgment is not our responsibility. It's only God's. And he's going to bring every deed, whether good or bad, into judgment. Did you hear that? Good or bad. He's going to judge every single thing we do. And only those things that come because of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, only those things matter. And our deeds are going to be either burned up as wood, hay, or stubble, or refined as pure gold. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we thank you that we serve a God that is living and active. And Lord, that you are so powerful. Lord, when we understand who you really are, the word awesome used for anything other than you kind of falls flat. Lord, you are awesome. May we truly reverence you in our lives. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.